It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is August 30th, 2018. My name is Phil Prosenreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to take a trip back in time to the 2009 NBA Finals. Yes, I'm going to talk about the most controversial game of that series, a game that still engenders a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, a lot of regret. I'm going to talk about Game 4 of the 2009 NBA Finals as we begin, I guess, in earnest with with ripping the Band-Aid off here on a discussion I'm sure we'll have for the rest of the season, the 10-year anniversary of the 2009 NBA Finals. It has really been 10 years since the Magic went to the Finals back in 2009. But before we do that, I want to set the table again with the Lockdown Podcast Network. As you know, today, Thursday, is the unofficial official start of the college football season. My Northwestern Wildcats will take on the Purdue Boilermakers on ESPN. You should watch that. Wear your Orlando City Purple. It counts just the same. Cheer on the Wildcats. I promise The bandwagon has plenty of room. We got this new athletic facility. It's very, very nice. It's got lots of room for fans to jump on board. Do it now because when we're going to the Rose Bowl at the end of the year, there will still be room because we're Northwestern and we accept everyone into our fold. But college football season to be here means that there's a whole lot of information to get out there. And yes, the Lockdown Podcast Network is on board with college football. Several prominent college football teams, including Alabama, including Oklahoma, including Penn State, including Kentucky. Well, maybe not college football for Kentucky, but college basketball season is around the corner. But many prominent college college teams now have Locked On podcasts. Not all of them yet, obviously. Not all the major ones. Locked On Gators is coming. Locked On Seminoles is coming. I know some people ask me about that. They're on their way, and the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered For the college football season, just go on to iTunes, search for Locked On, and the team you're looking for. Locked On Alabama will be a great resource if you're heading out to the Alabama-Louisville game on Saturday night. Lots to get to, of course. And then, of course, you've got the Locked On NBA podcast, the Locked On MLB podcast, and with NFL season around the corner, the Locked On NFL podcast as well. Be sure to check them all out. Search Search on iTunes for Locked On and the team you are looking for. You will be able to find them, I guarantee. So, aside from the 10-year anniversary of, of the 2009 NBA Finals, and like I said, we'll probably have more discussion about this team, and, and as the season goes on, I'm sure we'll talk to some talk to some guests and, and reminisce and, and talk about this team a little bit more, but last week on August 24th, 8-24, Kobe Day, it was Kobe Day on NBA TV, and, and they took a break from their team-centric days to have a day of Kobe Bryant's best games. And among those games, 
on NBA TV was Game 4 of the 2009 NBA Finals. Now, personally, I did not particularly remember that game as a great Kobe Bryant game. In fact, I kind of don't remember that as a great Kobe Bryant series, although if you go back and look at the numbers, he was fantastic in that series. Michael Petras tried, just like he tried with LeBron. Kobe Bryant is really, really freaking good. But of course, Magic fans don't remember that game for anything Kobe Bryant did. In fact, the Magic fans really remember that game as when that series felt like it ended. Instead of being tied 2-2, the Magic were down 3-1 and, and they would eventually lose the series in five games. Game four, it, it to me, as much as game one of the 1995 NBA Finals, and, and it really it unfolded eerily the same way, That game, to me, is one that is just full of regret. It's a game the Magic had won. Literally had won. Five-point five point lead with a minute to play. Four free throws that were all missed. And, of course, a game-tying three. Again, this is eerily how similar that loss was to Game 1 of the 1995 NBA Finals. But a, a, a three-pointer given up that forced overtime and then eventually a loss in overtime. That just gutted the team. We're going to talk about a lot of different things from that game here. Because for the first time since I was at Game 4, since I attended Game 4, I sat down and watched that game. And I do have some thoughts, and I do have some observations that are worth sharing. But first, the setup. For those who don't know, for those who might be new Magic fans and don't know the story... The 2009 Magic team was not supposed to go to the NBA Finals. That team was a plucky unknown that had just won its first playoff series in 12 years the year before, won the division for the first time in 12 years the year before, and no one really knew what to make of them. They were a nice, interesting team. They had an interesting way of playing with Richard Lewis at the four. Stretch fours were not a thing at the time. They had an interesting strategy with the heavy three-pointers and and Dwight Howard manning the post, but like the Phoenix Suns before them, it was a quirky play style that couldn't work in the playoffs. And in fact, early on in that playoffs, playoffs, the Magic looked like they were on the ropes. Blowing a 20-point lead in Game 1 of the first round against the Philadelphia 76ers, Andre Iguodala hitting a shot to shock the Magic and steal Game 1. Thaddeus Young hitting a game-winning layup in Game 3 to give Philadelphia a 2-1 series lead, and even Hito Turkoglu needing a banked-in three-pointer in Game 4 to tie that series up at 2. From there, Orlando advanced 4-2 over Philadelphia. Seemed like the crisis was averted, but even without Kevin Garnett, this team was not supposed to get past the Boston Celtics. That was a seasoned team, the defending champions, even without their heart and soul and Kevin Garnett, with their defensive anchor. That was the better team. Gone is a 20-point lead in Game 1. Orlando wins that. Glenn Davis hits a game-winning shot in Game 4 to give Boston a 2 to to have the series tied heading back to Boston. Boston wins Game 5. Orlando comes back with a 20-20 performance from Dwight Howard in Game 6, and then they blow the Celtics out in Game 7 at the TD Garden to advance. Okay, Orlando is not nice. They pulled a nice upset against an injured Boston team. But there's LeBron James. Here comes LeBron James. Game one, very similar. Cavs go out to a, a big lead. 20 plus points at one point. 
Orlando storms back on Richard Lewis three-pointer that we do not talk enough about how good that shot was and how big that moment was. And Orlando leaves Cleveland 1-1 after the LeBron shot that's overplayed. Then comes a Game 4 overtime victory thanks to a Richard Lewis jumper that gave Orlando a two-point lead. LeBron tied it at the free-throw line. No one remembers that, but the Richard shot was amazing. But Orlando wins that game in overtime. They would... They withstand LeBron James in Game 5 and dethrone the King in Game 6. Setting themselves up for a Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers, the team that lost to the Boston Celtics the year before. That 2009 Magic team is, again, I'm sure we'll discuss plenty over the course of the season because it is the 10-year anniversary of this team. That team was not supposed to be in this moment. That team was not supposed to be in the NBA Finals. Nike had their puppets of LeBron James, played by Keenan Thompson. Kobe Bryant, played by David Allen Greer. Fantastic ad campaign. It was amazing. It was so well done. Nuh-uh. You don't get the finals. You got to earn that. And the Magic were the worst, absolute worst nightmare matchup. Worst nightmare, worst matchup for the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron James, at the height of his powers, playing probably the single greatest individual series I have ever seen. Not enough to take down the Orlando Magic. They made too many threes. They moved the ball too well. They played too good defense. And they advanced to the NBA Finals, their second ever NBA Finals. This was a fun team. This was a team that you could tell was very, very loose on the court. They enjoyed playing with each other, and they knew they were playing with house money. They wanted to prove everyone wrong as much as anyone else. They were committed to their defensive principles. But again... It was just a fun group. It is, it is, there's a reason why so many Magic fans will tell you the 2009 Magic are the best team in franchise history. And while I personally do not agree, I don't even think that was the best team in that mini run that the Magic had from 2008 to 2011, I understand, accept, and won't disagree with your argument that the 2009 Magic are the best team in franchise history. That was one heck of a team. And when you go back and watch them, A, you realize how revolutionary they were because no one was playing like that Magic team. You realize how key it is that Rashard Lewis was so selfless in taking on that power forward role and, and how on all the little things that he did. You recognize how unique of a player Hito Turkoglu was as a 6'9", 6'10", power forward or point forward, um, able to get to the basket even if he didn't look like the most athletic dude on, on the floor. How even his questionable shot taking just added a little bit of personality and flair to the team. And most of all, you realize just how good Dwight Howard was. In Game 4, for instance, Dwight Howard didn't score until the second quarter. The Magic's best player didn't score until the second quarter. And yet, his impact on that game in a positive way was still abundantly clear. Because his defense kept everyone out of the paint. He's one of the few players that... LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant, that Pau Gasol, that Lamar Odom, they all had to know where he was and account for him because he was going to send your shot packing. As rudimentary and simple as Dwight Howard's postgame was, it was effective for the most part. Again, he struggled a little bit in game four. But you come away watching some of these old Dwight Howard games and recognizing that in his time, 
he was not appreciated enough for what he could do. Too many, too often, everyone focused on what he couldn't do, on what he wasn't able to do, on what a post player was supposed to do that Dwight didn't really do. To be clear, Dwight Howard helped revolutionize the modern center. He was trying to hold on to some of those old notions that a center posts up, back to the basket, pivot, drop step, all that jazz. Hook shot, running hook, counter, counter moves. And he, and he did a, and he worked a lot on that in twenty for, before the 2011 season, which again, he does not get enough credit for because he ban- unfortunately, I think he abandoned a lot of what he learned after that stellar MVP caliber season. But Dwight really changed the game defensively. And his impact there is unbelievably strong. And so you watch this team and you see a team that played loose, had fun, enjoyed enjoyed things, maybe sometimes a little too much. Let emotion boil over sometimes. But that's what made them effective. And to me, that's what got them in the NBA Finals in 2009. And why that Lakers team was ultimately the better team. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Game four within the NBA Finals. So we'll talk a little bit more generally about game four. And and yes, we'll break down and discuss that moment at the end of the fourth quarter in game four. Game four for the Orlando Magic came obviously at a critical point in the series. They're down 2-1. Game one, Orlando gets blown out at the Staples Center. Just probably not ready. And I think this is a theme not really ready for the stage and for the moment. The, the Lakers caught the Magic flailing and on their back foot a little bit, beat him with experience. Magic fans will remember Game 2 as the game where Courtney Lee missed an alley-oop layup off a brilliant inbounds play, a perfectly executed inbounds play from Stan Van Gundy, Hito Turkoglu, and Courtney Lee. The only problem was Lee missed the layup. Yes, Pau Gasol goaltended. There's no getting around that. He goaltended. It wasn't called. Lee had a difficult jumper to make there. I do not fault Courtney Lee for missing that layup. It is not an easy layup for him to make. And in any case, the game went to overtime. Give Hito Turkoglu credit for blocking Kobe Bryant's shot at the end of regulation to set up that that lob play for Courtney Lee. I don't think we talk about that play enough, especially because Lee didn't end up not making the shot, but we don't talk about that Turkoglu play enough. But ultimately, in overtime, Kobe Bryant and the Lakers advance, and they, they they survive. Lakers are up 2-0, heading back to Orlando. In Orlando for Game 3, the Magic shot an NBA Finals record. I think it was 63% from, beyond the, or 63% from the floor. They could not miss. They dominated the game, it felt like. And yet the Lakers hung around. It was a close game. The Magic had to make free throws at the end of the game to win Game 3, their only Finals win in franchise history. But Orlando won. 
by four points. They were on the board with a chance to tie in their building and make it a 2-2 series. No one had broken serve yet. Game four itself played out very similarly to how a lot of the other games played. Orlando raced out to a 12-point lead. I believe they led by 12 at halftime. Even with Dwight Howard struggling, they got great play from Rafer Alston early. Uh, Kito Turkoglu was able to get into the paint. Uh, like in every other game, Dwight Howard got Andrew Bynum in foul trouble. But the Lakers were just kind of cruising. Again, when I watched this game, I watched it Sunday for the first time, uh, seeing the t- television broadcast. Kobe Bryant said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, a, a lot of people want to tell us the Magic shot an NBA Finals record in Game 3, but we only lost by 4. That's a positive. And he was like, no. We need to come out sharper because that doesn't mean anything. We still lost. All that counts now is wins. And to me, and perhaps this is a bit of hindsight looking back at it, to me that was a statement of the Lakers know what it takes to win a championship. Remember the year before they lost to the Boston Celtics, Kobe had three titles at this point. Derek Fisher was a part of those teams. You'll hear that name again. Um, This was a group that had been through wars already. And it knew and understood what this stage was. You could sense the magic didn't. Throughout Game 4 especially. Throughout Game 1 for sure. Throughout Game 4, I thought you could definitely sense it as, as I watched it back. There's a lot of sniping at the refs still. A hallmark of Dwight Howard and, and yes, part of who the Magic were. It's part of what made them good. Again, emotions mattered with this team. But the Lakers just kind of stayed level. They got down. They didn't panic. Orlando seemed to have some bad plays go against them. You could feel them getting tighter, pressing a little bit. I will argue this in a moment, but the Lakers were simply the better team. Orlando was a very good team. The Lakers couldn't just blow them out whenever they wanted to. Again, game one being the exception, and then game five being when the Magic had really kind of capitulated. But game four just showed Orlando could throw some heavy punches. They could hang with the big boys. But when it came down to it, were they going to be ready for this stage? The Lakers came back. They took a little bit of a lead. Orlando bounced back to take the lead heading into the final moments of Game 4. It looked like Orlando was going to tie this series. And with one minute to play, Orlando led by five points. It felt like it was a brand new series. The Amway Arena was rocking in a way that it hadn't since the mid-90s. Everyone felt certain the Magic were going to win the game and tie the series up, creating a pivotal Game 5 on the Amway Arena floor. And of course, we'd never know what that kind of game would have looked like inside that building. With a minute to play in the Magic up by five points, Hito Turkoglu went to the foul line. A a solid free free throw shooter. He proceeded to miss both free throws. And now you could see that tightness really creep in, or you could see... The, the nervousness, the nerves that the Magic had in that moment. Because off that rebound, Kobe Bryant raced to the other end of the floor. Michael Petrus was a little bit slow. And the Lakers were able to get it to Kobe Bryant for an easy dunk. A three-point game. 
Orlando is not out yet, though. Still plenty of time. Just need to execute, score baskets. The Lakers weren't ready to foul yet. So when Orlando ran a pick and roll with Hito Turkoglu and Dwight Howard, and Dwight Howard came roaming straight down the middle of the lane, no one in front of him, the Magic got him the ball. Howard had to gather, and that gave Kobe Bryant enough time to rotate over and foul him, sending him to the free throw line. In the two free throws that probably haunt me most about this game, because I'd completely forgotten about Turkoglu's two free throws earlier in the, or just a few minutes before. Dwight Howard missed both free throws. The shades of 1995 continued. The Lakers got the rebound. They called timeout down three with about 12 seconds to go. What happened next, I think most fans have laid on the shoulders of Jameer Nelson, both because he was in the game to begin with. Most fans will say that Orlando should have stuck with Rafer Alston, that there's, there is a narrative out there that Jameer Nelson should have never come back, which is debatable for sure. There's certainly a debate that can be had about whether Rafer Alston should have been in the game late in the game. And in fact, I think most of what happened over those final 10 to 12 seconds, you can lay wholly at Stan Van Gundy's feet. Stan Van Gundy made some key tactical errors, in my opinion, as I watched this game back. That had nothing that that put Jameer Nelson in a bad position, that put the team in a bad position to give up the three pointer they ultimately gave up. Down by three points with about 12 seconds to go, the Lakers made the decision to inbound the ball from the backcourt, not going from midcourt like you would normally see in a game. It appeared to me this caught Orlando by surprise because obviously. Orlando's trying to pressure and prevent a three-point shot. And so it felt like Orlando took what they were going to run in the half court and then turned it into a full court press. The one thing you do not want to do up by three points is overextend your defense. And one thing that will do that for sure is a full court press. The Magic strategy in this situation was was abundantly clear. They were not going to let Kobe Bryant beat them. And so when the Lakers inbounded the ball to Kobe Bryant, Rashard Lewis immediately came over to double-team Kobe Bryant. Makes sense, even if it is in the backcourt. Kobe sees it immediately and slings it over to Trevor Ariza. Jameer Nelson, guarding Derek Fisher, slides over to stop Trevor Ariza. Ariza slows up a bit, but he's moving forward. Nelson stops him, and he slings the ball over to Fisher. Nelson recognizes that Fisher is perhaps a better shooter than Ariza, has already started to leave Ariza, even though Ariza shot the ball better from three that series and and was a key reason why the Lakers win that series eventually. He's already moved off of Ariza to get to Fisher. By the time Fisher catches the ball, Nelson is in place but at the three-point line, not up on Fisher. And this is the great debate of this play. This is what fans continue to debate to this day whenever you bring this up, that Jameer Nelson should have pressed up more on Derek Fisher to not give up that three. 
I thought this at the time. I, I think I am in the minority on this. I thought this at the time of the game when I was at the arena, when I watched the play, and, and I still think it when I watched the play back. Yes, Jameer Nelson could have pressed up a bit more. He, he gave Fisher some space. But he did not do a poor job contesting the shot. Fisher's at least a foot and a half, two feet behind the three-point line. Nelson's foot is on the three-point line. And in fact, when you watch Nelson's contest, he does have a hand directly in Derek Fisher's face. Now, Jameer Nelson being six feet, listed at six feet, that's probably not enough to challenge most players. And in fact, to that point in the game, Derek Fisher had missed all five of his three-pointers. It was really bizarre watching this game back and seeing Derek Fisher miss a lot of three-pointers because you, you know what's coming. But it wasn't just that he missed all those three-pointers. It was that the Magic, I thought, made a conscious decision to leave Derek Fisher open. He was a superb three-point shooter during the course of the season, but in that playoff series, or in the playoffs that year, in 2009, he shot worse than 30%. I think Orlando's decision in this case was not the one I would make. I'll be perfectly clear on that, because Fisher is a good three-point shooter. I'd rather Ariza take the three than Fisher, even though, again, Ariza shot very, very well in that series. But I don't think it was irrational for the Magic to welcome a contested three-point shot from Derek Fisher. Now, if Nelson presses up, Fisher gets around him, maybe that's how he finds a trailing Kobe Bryant, or maybe that's how he finds another three-point shooter. Again, that's why I don't think Nelson's positioning is as bad as people make it out to be. This is my opinion, of course, and I think you are right to believe that Nelson should have pressed up more and that was the right, that would have been the right play. I don't think Nelson contested the shot perfectly. I don't think he contested the shot um, uh, exceedingly well. But what he did was acceptable to me, even in a big moment like that. Like I said, I think the mistake on that play was not Jameer Nelson's contest. The mistake on that play, and I'd completely forgotten that the Magic had pressed in this situation. I thought that the, uh, the way I had remembered it, and Mandela, the, the uh, Mandela effect in play here, the way I had remembered it was the Lakers got a rebound and pushed the ball up the court, and that's why Jameer was retreating. Or that's why Jameer was beyond the three-point line, and, and that's why maybe the Magic should have fouled. I didn't think there was an opportunity to foul. There was an opportunity to foul. Debating that strategy is, is another question mark as well. The mistake I feel watching back that play in Game 4 where where the Lakers tied the game with about 4 or 5 seconds left. The mistake was Stan Van Gundy's decision to press. Up 3 with 10 seconds left. The only thing that should happen is you have token pressure to make the guy pick up the ball. If the Lakers want to go the full length of the court, get back and set your defense. There is no reason to press and certainly no reason to double in the backcourt. That does nothing for you. 
but expose holes in your defense. It's the kind of move that puts Jameer Nelson in the situation that he was in, where he's not sure what help is behind him to stop a drive or to stop Fisher from sucking more guys off the three-point line. It puts Nelson in a situation where he's deciding, this is the guy we want to shoot. I'm just going to be close enough to contest. Which, again, in my opinion, he was. That's, as, as I've debated with some people, that is certainly a debatable point as well. And maybe my definition of a good contest is different than yours. It's certainly worth debating. The execution of that, that the point is, both the execution and the tactics of that final sequence was poor. And the Lakers took advantage to tie that game up and really stab the magic in the heart. Because in overtime, the Lakers took control early. And even though Orlando bounced back to tie, Orlando put itself in a position where the Lakers could win that game. And in fact, they did when Jameer Nelson digged in to double Kobe Bryant and perhaps was shoved, perhaps he wasn't, couldn't get back out to Derek Fisher for another three. Fisher finished the game two for seven from beyond the arc again. He missed all five of his three-pointers, and I think those shots from Derek Fisher were shots the Magic could live with because all game long, they left Fisher open. Rafer Alston was roaming like crazy. It was that game, game four, is a symbol of that 2009 finals. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Because you see, the Magic were really close to winning a championship that year. Obviously, they were in the finals. They were one made free throw from Dwight Howard away from tying that series at 2-2. And when it's the best of three series... Who knows what could happen? That loss undoubtedly shook the Magic's confidence. You could feel that energy, that joy drain from them. And Game 5, you know, I, I hate to say it, and I, I get it, that the, 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 the spirit was really gone from that team. Game 5, to me, was, was really kind of embarrassing. Uh, for me, for, for as, I, as I thought as a Magic fan, especially with the amount of Lakers fans that, that invaded the Amway Arena that year. I remember coming home after Game 4 when I was writing for, for, my, for my personal blog uh, the, that was called The Curse of the Big Aristotle. Um, I remember writing my three takeaways from that game. And my last one was just, don't let them win it on our court. I don't care if you win this series anymore. Just make them win it in L.A. Go back to LA. Don't let the first title handed out in Orlando to go to the other team. It hurt to hear Paul Porter declare the Lakers the, the NBA champions. It hurt. But game four 
showed why the Lakers were the deserving champions and the Magic were a team that still needed to mature a little bit. You could see it in the way the Magic got frustrated with officials. You could see it in the way the Magic left points on the board. Orlando missed 15 free throws that game. They turned the ball over 12 times in the first half. Obviously, Dwight Howard isn't a great free throw shooter, but the turnovers especially were a theme throughout the entire series. Orlando constantly beat itself as much as the Lakers did. But more than that, the Lakers had control of the series. They had control of the mood and the tempo of the entire series. I remember thinking to myself after after the series ended, this was a close five games. The Magic played the Lakers really tight. They were clearly game enough to compete on the stage with the Lakers. But it was still a five-game series. And it was, a, in my opinion, a fair result. The Magic were always chasing the Lakers. There was never a moment in that series where the Lakers did not have control. Where the Lakers did not feel like we have enough to win this, this game. Orlando always had to do that little bit extra to win, this, to win a game. Orlando needed a record-setting performance just to win by four. And when the game got tight in game four, the pivotal game, the game that would determine whether the series would go six games, seven games, or end in five, you could feel the tension in this usually loose bunch. That confidence was gone. And after getting up off the mat so many times in that playoff series, you could tell something finally rocked them. Now, the finals are a different animal. If you've never been to the finals as a player, if you've never been to the finals as a fan, you don't really understand the scope of this stage. And I think that inexperience hurt the magic. A team that felt so loose, felt like they were playing with house money, all of a sudden it started to get real for them. All of a sudden, things felt a little more serious. And you could feel that that tension. You could feel that nervous energy in the magic throughout that game and throughout those closing moments. It's it's obviously tough to admit that. And, and I think, you know, I, I think one of my projects that I may try and get done before the end of the summer, if not, I'll, I'll definitely get to it next summer. Everyone remembers game one of the 1995 finals. No one remembers game two. Game three was kind of close. And I know game four has been on NBA TV a few times. We all know what losing game one did to that team. But I'm curious just how close the Magic looked in game two. Whether it truly was just they they had lost that confidence. Certainly felt that way about the Magic in game four. That they couldn't figure out how to put these guys away in the same way they had before. 
Some of it was the Lakers had a team that could match up with Orlando. Putting Lamar Odom at the four, uh, coming off the bench, when whenever Andrew Bynum would get in foul trouble in the first couple minutes, Bynum at the four, being able to switch with Ariza, Gasol still being a, a capable defender, Kobe being a really good defender. The Lakers' ability to switch in that series really frustrated the Magic. The Lakers needed to stop Rashard Lewis. They had Lamar Odom. They needed to stop Ito Turkoglu. They had Trevor Ariza. Orlando's advantage with those two bigs was gone. Only when the Lakers went to that twin tower lineup with Bynum and Gasol did they find the space, really. It's a preview of what we're seeing today with the NBA, this ultimate versatility, this ultimate switchability from almost every position. Most importantly, like I said, I put the fault in the way Game 4 ended in that final play and Stan Van Gundy's tactics. And it was clear throughout the entire series that Phil Jackson outcoached Stan Van Gundy. After Stan Van Gundy ran circles around every coach in the Eastern Conference, whether it was whether it was Mike Brown or even Doc Rivers, Phil Jackson figured out how to beat the Magic. He had the personnel to do it as much as anything else, but he knew his team could handle this stage. And the Magic just couldn't. Now, as the postscript to all this, experience did help. Even though Orlando made some significant changes to the team, they came back in 2010 much more sure and certain of their identity. This was a fun group. This was a serious group. They were serious about winning, but they were going to have fun doing it. That's part of who Dwight Howard was. Maybe that's part of Stan Van Gundy kept them serious and on task. Dwight Howard kept them loose and having fun. Jameer Nelson did that too. They were a cast of characters. They needed that comfort. They needed that that ability to relax in these big moments. And in the 2010 series, Orlando was all business. Once they figured each other out, once they gained that chemistry, they were all business. Finishing the season with a thir- finishing the last half of the season 33 and 8 to get to 59 wins. Putting on their pregame dunk shows just kind of loosen themselves up and, and display their personality. Sweeping through the first two rounds of the playoffs. For my money, the 2010 Magic were better than the 2009 Magic. That was a great team. And you could tell they were more ready for the final stage. Unfortunately, they ran into a champion. With Kevin Garnett healthy, The Boston Celtics were too much for the Magic. Like the Lakers the year before, they could match up with Orlando. And really, that six-game series, that six-game series was a close six-game series. A series that could have easily turned in the Magic's favor. But, like all things in Magic history, it came down to a couple of missed free throws. This time from Vince Carter. And those missed free throws in Game 2 of that series likened Game 4 of the 2009 Finals and Game 1 of the 95 Finals, really ripped a lot of the soul out of the team. You could tell they started getting tight and getting a little more serious. And although Jameer Nelson and Dwight Howard saved the team in Game 4 and 5, 
the end was inevitable. And that team could not recapture what worked so well in 2010. And that was the end of the Magic's dynasty. We'll never know what would have happened if Hito Turkoglu had made one of those free throws, or Dwight Howard had made one of those free throws, or Jimmy Nelson had pressed up, or Derek Fisher just missed a shot. Again, I would argue Derek Fisher took a contested shot, a tough contested shot that you tip your cap to him for. We'll never know any of those things. Unfortunately, as close as the Magic seemed to winning the Larry O'Brien Trophy that year, rewatching Game 4 has me convinced more than ever the Lakers were the better team. And the Lakers were going to win that championship even if Orlando had won Game 4. Oh, thank you for taking a trip down memory lane with me here on Locked on Magic. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Like us on Facebook at Locked on Magic. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places you download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can, of course, find me on Twitter to yell at me at R underscore OMD. And, of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, including a look at the Orlando sports scene in what is a very, very odd year for Orlando's three major professional sports teams, check out orlandomagicdaily.com. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily Locked on Magic, this is Philip Rossman Reich. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. Go Cats, beat Purdue. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.